Welcome to Libre Lounge, a podcast about free software, free culture, and all the other interesting aspects of user freedom. With Christopher Lemmer Weber and Serge Broklowski. Hey, Chris. Hey, Serge. So we got a really exciting episode. We're going to continue our activity pub discussion with JSON LD, which is sort of the core of the activity pub protocol. And more specifically, the activity streams vocabulary used by the, by the activity pub protocol. Yeah, and we'll get into the details of of all of that in part 2, but I think part 1 we should just talk about what JSON LD is and what makes it special. From a, just from a regular user perspective uh, of someone looking at computer files and computer protocols. Well, I think in some ways you may be more of a, since I spent too long with my head in, in standards land on this, you may be closer to a regular user on this than I do. So what's your perspective on the difference between JSON and JSON-LD? So for people who aren't familiar with, actually, we're going to put JSON aside. So let's just talk about opening up a regular file on your computer. So maybe you have a, a Word document or any kind of you know office or sound or whatever, and you click on the program and you click on the, the file and the program opens and it either opens the file and it works or it opens the file and it doesn't work. And there's really no in-between, right? So it's not like you can open up a file and say, like, well, It'll sort of kind of work, but not really well. That's, that's not something that we're used to in computers. It, it either, you know, computer programs typically, they either open or they don't open a file. And what's interesting about JSON-LD is it, it's different. It's, it's a lot more like sort of knowing a language. So maybe I sort of know German, right? So maybe I can pick out a few words or you know, choice phrases, but I really don't know the language. Or maybe I've studied it for a year or two and I have a couple of uh, vague notions of what a sentence might say, but I really don't understand it in full. Or even in English, right? Like if, if you're listening to a talk by somebody who is another computer programmer, they might give about, you know, most of the talk you might know, but there might be a, a couple of words that they use that you don't know. And you might be like, oh, I'll look that up later, but you can maybe assemble enough information from the context clues. It's not like you lose everything, right? Right. In fact, in fact a doctor or a lawyer um, or even an engineer would be a perfect example of this, right? So if my doctor is talking to me about something, they're going to be speaking English, but I may not understand exactly what they're saying, but I could probably get a vague idea of what they're saying. And that's the power of JSON-LD. And again, we'll talk about how that gets implemented a little bit later, but it's this idea of what I'm going to call partial fluency, right? So I may not know exactly what's going on, but I can sort of kind of get the basics. And uh, I'll maybe I'll get a degraded version of the content. So I won't get the full complete picture like an expert would, but I'll get some idea of what's going on. And that's really powerful. And that's what we don't typically have in internet protocols. And that's what makes this really powerful and unique. So, so let's go back. You mentioned JSON. JSON is a data exchange format that's usually used on the web. And uh, we don't need to go into what its origin is, but basically it's, it's serialized JavaScript. Um, but the important thing to know is that it's used on the web a lot and it's used by computers. And so the way I think about JSON-LD is that JSON 
is kind of like a grammar, like a grammar we have for language. But a grammar by itself doesn't give you very much. It just gives you a structure, but none of the vocabulary. So JSON-LD is a way of expressing vocabulary. And that's really important for computer programmers because if we have a, a field, let's say start time, well, that name start time means something to a human being, but it doesn't mean anything to a computer. So what we need is to say, okay, when I say start time, what I mean is some date time object. And if you see that same object, you're going to say, oh, I know how to handle that. And that's, that's the beauty here. So the way that gets accomplished in JSON-LD, and again, we'll talk about implementation details later, is that I say, hey, I'm going to ship with some data, and I'm also going to ship with a little glossary, or at least I'm going to link to a glossary that says, here are the terms that I'm using, and here's what they mean. And I can build on that and I can say, okay, well, I'm going to ship with my specialized version of a glossary. So if we can think about English, we can say, well, there's a lot of base English words and that kind of everybody knows. And then we can say, well, we have specialized vocabularies that are used by doctors or lawyers or engineers. And those specialty vocabularies have specialized terms. So I can say, well, I'm going to use the doctor vocabulary. And that doctor vocabulary will say, oh, and I'm going to reference the standard English vocabulary. And that's really, at its core, the basic uh, understanding. That's a very simple, basic understanding of JSON-LD, wouldn't you say? I think so. Um, I think there's there's an additional component, which might be the question, you know, well, why would I, you know, for plenty of people... Um, the amount of vocabulary that they can put into their JSON structure seems like it's sufficient, right, with a lot of their applications. Like if I am writing both the server and the client in a system, let's say we're writing a chess program, then you and I might understand the that the move term, We so I'm, I'm borrowing the conversation we had from Joey Hess, but that the move term is... Uh, the, both the server and the client know what that move term is, but what happens when we end up having uh, a much more decentralized world where both um, you might have two programs speaking and then one of them is using move for, you know, move a chess move and one of them is using move for like moving boxes. Is that, is, is that? So it's, so another way of putting that is within a single organization, it's really easy to synchronize meeting. If I'm both the, the content creator and content producer, right, I can use any words I want. In fact, I could just use, you know, Fluselbork, uh, and it can mean anything I want within my, within my organization. But if I'm talking to you and you don't know what a Fluselbork is, you know, and I say, well, this is 12 Fluselbork, Chris, you know, that doesn't mean anything to you. Or even worse, if I, if you and I both think that we, if we, you and I both think we know some, a more common term, then we might both misinterpret this this term as being something very as being the same, but they're radically different. That's true. That's right, and that's a that's as you say a, a major problem we have, which is you know maybe you know going back to our previous you know you use the move example, we could even say the date example that I gave, which is well, hey, we have different ways of representing time, and maybe I put it in number of seconds since the epoch, and you put it in uh, the standard ISO format. And if, if, if a computer program is expecting one and it gets the other, it's going to be very confused. So um, one way of doing that was we try to make our program super, super smart and they can handle anything, which never works. <laughs> or instead we say, okay, well, 
this is what we mean by this term. And if you're a computer program, you can try to understand it. Or, and this is the really critical part, if you look at this term and you're, compu and you're a computer program and you don't know what it means, you can skip it. And you can just look at terms that you do understand. And maybe you won't get a complete understanding. Maybe you won't give the full rich experience. But you're going to get something out of it. And that's something that you can deliver to your users. And that's really powerful. Right. So that sounds like graceful degradation. Um, and so how does that kind of concept of uh, graceful degradation, or you used another term. I forget what it was already. Uh, partial uh, fluency. Partial these fluency. Are, these are terms that I made up, by the way. These are not official. <laughs> um, how would partial fluency apply to ActivityPub then, right? And you mentioned that we might have a default sense, like if we're if we're both walking into a hospital, we might be assuming that we're using the the, the medic vocabulary, right? Um, so how does that apply to? And then there may be terms that that are you know extraneous to that, but how like how how do we map that same idea to uh, activity streams and activity pub? Sure. So in activity pub, activity pub uses activity vocabulary. Activity vocabulary specifies a whole bunch of language, a whole bunch of terms that are defined by activity vocabulary. And those are terms like note, which is just sort of a basic message, very similar to a tweet on Twitter. Uh, Mastodon users will, will notice that they'll, they're called toots on Mastodon. But it also describes things like um, favorites, which is similar to like, it'll, it describes following and followers. Um, it describes those as, as collections. It defines all of these terms, but it's also possible for an application to use new terms. Um, and funk whale is an example of that. So funk whale is a service that's a music oriented and it uses terms that are outside, um, of activity vocabulary. And so it builds on top of activity vocabulary, uses some activity vocabulary terms, and then it says, oh, and I've got my own specialty terms, and here they are. So if I'm looking at Funk Whale from, let's say, a Mastodon feed, like I'm using Mastodon to read my Funk Whale, I'm going to get something. I'm not going to get nothing, but I'm not going to get the full Funk Whale experience. I'm going to get something that's maybe just a textual representation or something like that. And so in your example of chess, so if I'm using a chess specific um, service, maybe I'll get a little chess board and it'll draw the chess pieces out for me and that'd be really cool. But maybe instead I'll get just a textual representation, you know, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not this good at chess, but like, you know, queen, you know, uh, queen to, you know, rook two, right? So, that might be just all the text I get. Or maybe if your program is really kind, it'll provide, if you're the one producing, if you're the producing the chess program, maybe your program will provide a textual representation and maybe even an image for those of us who don't speak that chess vocabulary. Yeah. So uh, I want to say, um, actually, the audio stuff is defined in activity stream. So it might be that Funk Whale is actually just using the base activity streams vocabulary. But the point holds regardless and even mastodon has actually defined extensions that were not in the original activity streams vocabulary right like sensitive um for like sensitive media was not in activity streams proper and has been added by mastodon so that that whole idea and, and so i mean the reason why this seems important to me is 
you know, there are debates back and forth about whether or not we should, when defining a standard, define everything possible. But it seems to me like we can't predict the future of all possible options. And so we have to provide the ability for to, for extensions of vocabulary. And JSON-LD is one way to do that. Yeah, it's a, it's a part of the system to build extensible, changeable things that will be usable for, for uh, a long period of time. Whereas if you... If you didn't have this, what you'd have to do is you'd have to define every term that you're going to use, and then you'd have to either keep updating those terms as soon as new people came up with new terms, or have some kind of formal extension process by which you say, well, okay, well, now people want to do this, so we'll make an extension called that, and it'll have to go through some formal approval process. And I think that's the other really important part of understanding JSON-LD is that unlike some other protocols, if I want to make my own vocabulary, you want to make your own vocabulary, you don't need to go through any formal process to do that. You can just say, this is the vocabulary I'm using, and other people can choose to adopt or not adopt that vocabulary. Yep. Uh, okay. Well, do, is there anything else you want to say as in terms of the lightweight introduction, or do we think we it's uh, break time? No, I think this was good. I think we've covered the the basics that an average person. So this is if you're a, just an average person who's enjoying, you know, the Fediverse. This is all you have to know about JSON-LD. And from now, we're going to dive uh, the next section. We're going to dive pretty deep into the tech. Yep, it's going to get pretty nerdy. Um, so feel free to stick around if that's your thing. If it's not your thing, hopefully this was good enough. But uh, uh, why don't we get to that break? All right. So see you all then. Okay. During these breaks, we like to thank projects which are important. And for me personally, GraphIs is one of those projects. When I need to make complicated visualizations of interconnected information, GraphIs is the tool. Thanks, GraphIs. And we're back. All right, Chris, you are going to get us into the technical weeds of JSON-LD. Right. So the last thing that we kind of ended with was the idea that we might have extensions and so so to op i'm going to introduce the open like the the nerdy term for this is that uh in computer science we might call this an open world versus closed world system so a closed world system is a very system that we described where you know you're just making it for your organization you know what all the terms are you can define everything up front and you've got control over that whereas an open world is something much more decentralized where we can't predict ahead of time what kinds of uh, information is going to be expressed or even who's going to express the information. Uh, a term, a phrase used by Tim Berners-Lee and some other people is uh, anyone can say anything about anything. Um, so, okay. Um, assuming we're starting with that, I think we need to introduce what's called the uh, JSON-LD context. Uh uh, Sarah, you've seen the context in these activity streams messages before, right? Yeah. Uh, th basically, what they do is they set out. So, activity streams says, okay, well, this is the base vocabulary, right? This is kind of like our simple English that just kind of defines all of the basic terms that your app, that your activity pub application is probably going to need. Right. And so, in for example, in activity streams, note capital N note um, maps to like w three dot. I'm just. I'm, I hope I get this right. And w3.org forward slash, it might be NS. I don't remember for sure. Um, and uh, capital A activity streams, whatever. And then the hash mark and then note. 
And what you'll notice about that, oh, right, an HTTP or HTTPS before all that. What you'll notice about that is that that's actually a URI um, or URL. URI technically correct here, but uh, sometimes technically correct is not the best kind of correct. But anyway, the point here is that we've chosen to create a, a, a globally unique uni- identifier. We already have such a system, which is basically the links that, you know, uh, hold together the web. So why not use those? Um, and oftentimes, if you visit that link in your browser, it'll actually take you to somebody's write-up of what that term should mean. It's not guaranteed to. What it really is it's supposed to, what's really important is it maps to something unique that hopefully where if you and I both have that same version of note, like if our note maps to that same longer uh, note, the URI version of the note, hopefully you and I have an understanding that this is the same meaning of note, right? So I'm going I'm to restate that a little. So if we assume that on the web, a web page is unique, then we can say, okay, well, then we can substitute those web locations for unique identifiers. We can say, well, if this page is unique, then it's the only page there, and we can use that as an ID. And then if we go to that, and so then uh, JSONLD says, well, when uh, a JSONLD-capable machine looks at this, it's going to get some kind of JSONLD representation that's that the computer can understand. And sometimes a, a person who's making one of these vocabularies, and they're kind of like these glossaries, will also put a human-readable um, version of that same information, although they are not required to. Um, they often will because people will also want to understand what that's, right. that's basically what you're saying. Yep, exactly. Um, and so, so okay, so that's basically what the context is. Uh, at its most basic, it's just a JSON object that maps, you know, term to URI, term to URI, term to URI. So, like, the shorthand name to the long expanded URI shorthand name. And this is just key value, key value in the, in the, the object or dictionary or whatever you want to call it of the context. You can just think about this just like a regular dictionary where you say like, okay, I'm going to look up this term in a paper dictionary and I shuffle through the pages and would say, okay, this, and it's almost like actually more like an index. And it's like, okay, well, this term gets referenced. Uh, this is where it is. And it's, like, oh, it's on this, it's uh, on this URI. Yeah, that's and right. Here's where you find it. it. Yep. Yep. And uh, so so with that, um, so what that means is that, you know, okay, now I've given you this document that, you know, maybe it's using activity streams plus a few extensions that we throw in, um, like, for example, the sensitive flag, um, which doesn't expand to, you know, the, the normal activity streams. It's called namespace, but that means isn't too important for this. But Mastodon might host their own, well... Okay, let's define namespace. Uh, Serge, I'm going to let you define namespace. All right, so a namespace is nothing more than just saying, okay, well, uh, within my um, vocabulary, these are these are my terms. Uh, right. And, it's, and that's it. It's <laughs> that's a namespace. For names. Yeah, it just says, and, you know, and again, you can kind of, I think about it a lot like uh, glossary, like I used to get in school, right? So it's some specialized things. And, and a normal glossary, right, the kind that we got in school, you can assume that a term that you'd get would also be applicable elsewhere. Um, that's not quite the same thing because uh, in, in JSON-LD because it's possible that two names will have slightly different meanings. And as Chris, you pointed out, the term terms that are ambiguous, like move, 
may mean slightly different things. So when we define them within the context of JSON-LD, with, within a namespace, we say, well, we mean this uh, version of it, and it's very exact. And right. we specify um, the, the type of what the data is going to look like, with the, sort of the shape of it, the, rep- the, the shape of the representation, and we should also hopefully in some kind of um, human-readable version, explain what the data is actually. Right. So, um, so what's, and, and actually you kind of brought up something interesting with, you know, like by, by making this similar to other fields such as education, um, I actually think real legal code is another interesting example of where this actually happens, right? Like, so if you have, and many of our listeners have read probably more licensed docs and end-user license agreements than they would like to, the if you've done that you'll probably be familiar with there's often a kind of legal header or preamble that actually makes it very explicit what all the terms in the document are going to mean right because even outside of computer programs this is pretty common sometimes we have to be specific about things yeah exactly so uh, for people that are lawyers, they'll know that when, when we say this, we mean that. That's exactly what we're doing here. We're saying, well, when we say this, we mean this specific understanding that. Right. And But the other part that we do because it's a computer is we also describe the the data representation. So how does the computer see the data and how can it parse it and understand? Right. So let's let's try to give an example of an imaginary JSON-LD document uh, maybe one of the ones from the the, the top of uh, the Activities Pub uh, document, even right. Like the Activity Pub uh, has an overview, a little tutorial, and it gives a scenario. And one of the characters that's introduced is Alyssa P. Hacker, right? Um, by the way, that character totally stolen from SICP. It's a pun on Lispy Hacker. Uh, I threw that into the standard stuff and got away with it. Uh, sorry, that's an inside. Serge might edit that out of the show. Um, the, uh, so the write-up of that character basically shows a JSON document that gives the context of being the activity streams vocabulary. And it shows her having, um, you know, the context is, you know, activity streams. And then the type is person, uh, capital P person. And then the name is Alyssa P. Hacker. And then the, uh, um, and then she also has a bio, which I think is under the description, which is, you know, Lisp hacker healing from MIT. So, but the, the general JSON document that's being shown there is what we call the compacted form. Um, that compacted form just means that, well, you could actually, um, you could, is actually that we're using, it, the compacted form really means that it looks like the shorthand version that JSON users are used to working with, right? Like a normal looking JSON document with that at context at the top, just saying, here's how you can find out what all these terms mean. So most developers using ActivityPub will operate on things using the compacted form. Now, it is... And another positive. way to think about that is just shorthand right so as you pointed out or and mentioned earlier the true name of these keys is some very long urn right so http colon slash slash blah 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 slash blah 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 and instead we just use start date right uh and we could get more specific about it and that's what the expanded form does so if you take one of these documents and you run it through some json ld tooling 
Um, I think on JSON-LD.org is where they've got the JSON-LD um, uh, playground. So you can actually try this out and it's got, you know, some buttons you can click on that just kind of shows how this work uh, it works and I think makes it a little bit clearer. But you'll see that they have the expanded version of things. So if you click on that expanded version, you'll notice, oh my gosh, it does exactly what um, it, it makes, it shifts things from being the ambiguous version or the shorthand version, I should say, of like name and person and stuff like that to just being, uh, to, to actually being the long expanded version of HTTP, blah, 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 um, you know, person um, for the key. So that's what an, what the expanded version of things is. But most developers are not operating on things in expanded form. The uh, and and actually what so the since we have a default vocabulary in activity streams, if you haven't defined any extensions in activity pub, we basically say, well, you can assume that stuff coming across the wire is using the activity streams vocabulary. So for all the core terms, the core terms should, even without using any JSON-LD tooling, be the same for everybody. Like, you should just know that if somebody says name, it's going to mean the same name. Um, once you get into the extension side of things, that's where the context and the the, the tooling become more important. Um, should I get into the tooling stuff now or right at the end? So, okay, so... so there's a couple more things that uh, JSON-LD has that we we didn't cover. So in addition to giving a, a less ambiguous um, uh, term name, it's also possible to say what kind of thing this is, right? So if you have a name, like what kind of thing is a name? Is it a string? Is it a date? Is it, you know, so you kind of touched on this earlier, Basically, this is extra information that's in the JSON-LD context. I think most people aren't looking at it, but what's interesting is if you're a person who cares about types and things like that, that data is there. Yeah, yeah. and that makes it easier for the computer to parse. Right? Um, it's a pretty common term. We talk about machine-readable, and this is an aid for the machine to understand the data. So, so far, this stuff, I think, is pretty simple for, without having gone down the linked data rabbit hole. Um, I'm not sure how much we want to go down the linked data rabbit hole, but if you see JSON-LD, the LD sta does stand for linked data. So maybe we should give a bit of an introduction to what that means. Yeah, I think we should. I think this is the point where we can talk about the linked data dream, uh, you know, the Tim Berners-Lee vision of the future. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about you know, Wikidata and other projects that have tried to, to take advantage of this and... And actually, let me let me start. Okay, because I think because I think I've got a a nice way of explaining this this. In so if we think about the information on the web, so let's just let's just pick at um, Wikipedia. Wikipedia is an amazing resource. It's got information on tons of topics, and it's written. And I'm just going to use um, English as a substitute for human language. So if I say English, you can substitute French, German. I'm just using that is a substitute term for human readable, right? But if I go to Wikipedia, everything's written in plain English and it's got tons and tons of it. But if I'm a computer, and if I want to get all the information on Wikipedia into a computer so that the computer can understand and reason about it, I've got to teach the computer to read English. And that 
doesn't really work. And we've tried in the past to teach computers how to read and how to understand. Um, and I remember a project when, when the, in the 1980s, there was a lot of talk about this project, the Psych Project. And the idea of the Psych Project was that they were going to teach a computer all of the things that we assume a, a person knows just to be able to read uh, English. So they would teach it things like, oh, uh, a child is always younger than its parents. And if Chris is walking down the street, Chris's left arm is attached. <laughs> things like that, right? So it had to teach computer everything. Basically, they tried it. And although they might argue differently, it's been, it's been a 30 years and it really hasn't worked out in a way that is universal in the way that they had hoped. So there's another way of working, which is that we will put the, we'll put this information in a form that the computer can understand. So what instead we say, well, we're going to define all of the information about the world in a computer machine readable way. And then we can run tools against that data in the same way that we do on regular databases. We can make reasonable queries against it and come up with results. And that idea of doing that on not just on a single database, but on a worldwide scale is called the semantic web. And the semantic web is just this idea that we're going to encode all the information in, you know, maybe not necessarily in the world, but a great deal of it in a way that a computer can understand. And then a computer can reason about that data. And the way it does that is by linking all the terms and all the value and links about the terms and other values. And it creates the graph structure of, of terms and meanings and links to each other. So, so if I link to um, some value on another website, that just kind of works, right? So it's kind of like the way hyperlinks just kind of work. But now it's reasonable and it's being able to reason about information. So I can then take that data and maybe I can and make interesting queries against it. Interesting in the sense of I could, if I have a database of, um, of all of the information about Composer and I want to look for a pattern, for example, uh, tell me how did all, you know, what is the most likely cause of death of a composer in the 18th century? Well, the only way I can do that is by having either pre-set up all the data about, you know, create one column. It says, okay, well, these are all the composers and here's how they died. But if I've got linked data, I can start to ask questions that maybe no one's ever thought of. Or I can say, well, okay, what percentage of composers were bald? in comparison to the population at large. Probably no one's ever thought of that. Um, so I can start reasoning uh, about information in new and interesting ways and come up with hypotheses and test them in ways that have never been thought of before and that you can't do now. Is that, would, would you say that's about right, Chris? Yeah, I'd say that's about right. So the semantic web dream is the web is a graph, man. It's like one big database. We can just like, traverse it and query it right like it's all data right you know and i mean if if you think about it clicking around the web is you know if i'm visiting a page on wikipedia and i go down the wikipedia rabbit hole of just clicking around on a bunch of these things and yeah it it, it does feel like i'm a human database thing and it's your and we could give that same experience to machines by by giving them um by encoding this in a way that they can understand so 
Um, so yes, I think that that's a good description. And and the term graph is really important here because that's going to come up in how we end up merging together uh, um, the linked data slash semantic web kind of view of things and uh, the way that we do things in JSON. Um, so um, before before we get into that, uh, well, actually, okay, let me describe what RDF is. I know this is even one level of techiness deeper than I think we hope to go in this episode, but it's really not too hard, right? Um, RDF is, so if you think about that example that we had with Alyssa, Alyssa, we could imagine Alyssa in kind of like an, a programming object notation as being like Alyssa, you know, or user.name equals Alyssa, right? Well, the the RDF view of things is, well, we can just do that for everything, right? So in, like that's basically the user would be the subject, the um, dot name would be the predicate, and then the object would be the thing that comes after that. The big disagreement maybe between uh, um, whether or not you do things in the semantic web slash linked data way um well, okay, no, I'm not going to say the linked data way, but the RDF versus like JSON LD, um, as in terms of, or RDF versus JSON is whether or not you're looking things at things from a graph perspective or a tree perspective. Um, and I think most developers are used to looking at trees. Um, they're used to looking at these structures that, you know, they start in one specific place and then they walk down, but they don't kind of link back and point at themselves in various points and stuff like that. They're just like kind of like a single document. I would add a couple of things. So if we remember, if we want to, if we want to bring this back to ActivityPub, we talked about how in, in part one, how an activity is follows this structure of subject, verb, or predicate, and object. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. Um, and when you say tree, as you say, I think this is an important distinction because a tree is kind of is, is limited, right? It's one single document. It has a, it has a, a root, you know, a node at the top that everything flows down from, and we can reason about it. But an, a graph of this scale is essentially unlimited, and so our and so many of the tools that those of us who had a undergraduate degree, for example, in computer science aren't necessarily going to be able to reason about things that are uh, order NP, right? So um, there, it's just too large to be able to reason about in, in a simple algorithm. need more complex methods of ingesting. Okay, now I'm going to pull it all back and say, does that mean that users need to think about things in a graph way when using JSON-LD? And the answer is no, right? So that's, so JSON-LD you can think about things in just a tree way and take some of the good ideas from the semantic web type world and choose to use just the, some of those ideas. For example, you can use just the mapping of terms to URIs, which is a very good idea, I think, on its own, actually. Um, and uh, But you don't necessarily have to step into, let's convert this tree to a graph. Um, and there are some things where converting a tree to a graph, like people who like trees and then convert, um, uh, and then convert graphs to trees, they want to know where should that root be, right? And like, I want a specific flow and structure. And people who have graphs, like, actually might not care about that. And there may be some division. In theory, JSON LD gives you the tools so that you actually can convert a JSON LD document into this kind of graph soup. 
of just a bunch of these subject predicate object things. Um, converting it back again, you might not know where to put the root, but you in theory can switch them back and forth. Um, but I think most of the users of ActivityPub are not going to do that. They're only going to end up using kind of the vocabulary matching uh, mapping type things. But I think it's important to know this history as in terms of like what the LD is. Well, it's important for the curious, I guess. Um, and I should also note that we kind of described the semantic web thing and kind of this out there vision. So bringing this back, I remember there was, before ActivityPub, there was FOAT, friend of a friend. And that was a way of structuring information that was kind of like a profile about you that you could put on a web page. And uh, I think even Orkut uh, supported this on, on their social network. And uh, it was very cool, but digesting that kind of data, uh, it, was it was sort of recommended or even required that you had this graph database. That's a very different structure than most of us are used to dealing with, with you know SQL or even today document-based NoSQL database. A graph database is a very different beast. And what I think is cool about ActivityPub and JSONLD is that it lets you choose. So if you want to reason about this stuff in a graphy way, you can do that. And if you want to reason about this stuff in a simple either SQL or document type way, you can do that too. And it doesn't force your tooling to, um, it, it doesn't, doesn't force you to commit to a type of tool just because the data can be used in, in one way. I think that's true. I think that it reduces the amount of friction between kind of those two worldviews as much as that friction can be reduced. And yeah, I, I agree that it's valuable that there's a choice there. So now I want to get to why is there, there is some friction in the ActivityPub implementation sphere around JSONLD. Um, you actually sometimes see people complain like, oh, JSONLD is too complicated, like, you know, or, you know, we shouldn't have extensibility at all um, in, in a number of different arguments or like, you know, here's this less complicated thing. And I, I kind of want to address some of that. Um, so one of the things is, do we want extensibility at all? Um, and I think that one or, slash, do we want an open world system? And I think that one's very easy to up to answer up front. Yes, we can't predict the future and how people are going to use things. So we have to have an open world system and we have to have extensibility. I would actually go even farther than that. And I would say that if we look at the systems that we've had in the past that that had an extensibility mechanism that was complicated or too formal, it they stifled the projects. And what happened was other tools that just did things ended up taking over. And um, there are a couple of examples that come to mind. And um, I'm not going to name names, but some of the predecessor projects to ActivityPub um, had a closed world vocabulary. And then they said, well, we could extend it later. Um, and even I would argue that even XMPP Jabber extensibility, although it is there, is a little too formal. And so things maybe never got fully implemented or took a long time or whatever. And I think that the the process used by ActivityPub and extensibility in JSONLD is a nice counter to that. Well, actually, I think XMPP is a very similar mechanism to what we do. They just have an established practice for, for adopting the vocabulary. So actually, I'm not sure I agree on the XMPP front. I agree on the 
general front, you know, comparing to Diaspora, for instance, which does not have an extensible protocol, I think ActivityPub made the right decision. I actually kind of admire XMPP in some ways because I like the XCP process. They do give a specific place for you to define uh, term um, f- to define places to add things. I think the point you're making is you shouldn't have to do that to get started. I don't think XMPP necessarily requires it, but I think that actually that's one of the things that that we need to do better at, at or I need to as co-chair of the social community group, is providing a good process for people to work on the extensions together and define them. So uh, so I actually I, I think that the XEP process uh, is pretty great and pretty similar to what we're doing. Um, that's, that's fair. I, I also want to compare it to exactly the polar opposite. So as some of our listeners know, I used to be very involved with the OpenStreetMap project. And OpenStreetMap is not formally a semantic web project, but the data could be consumed in that way um, if, you, if you had a consumer that, that could work, could reason about it, although it's not structured optim- in an optimal way for that. In OpenStreetMap, key value pairs were not determined by a structured vocabulary or even a set of structured vocabulary. Rather, they were user-definable, and there was a semi-formal, non-enforced process by which new new um, terms could be defined. And there was no requirement that tools could would have to adopt new terms, um, nor was there a strict requirement that users had to use any of the predefined terms. And instead they rely on what is essentially a folksonomy. Terms that get used, get used, and more people should adopt those terms. And um, that looks really cool, except that you'd have competing terms and no easy way to map between them necessarily, or it would be hard to find where someone would define a term. So I actually think that JSON-LD is also a nice counter to a system that has no structure, yeah. where... Um, you know, you can just use whatever terms you want. Well, okay, that's fine. If you deter- if you define them first, then you can then you can work through and reason about them. But in one of my uh, frustrations with OpenStreetMap, consuming OpenStreetMap data, is that without a formal system by which terms are defined, it's very difficult to find all of the ways that you could define a representation of an of, of a physical. So it's a geographic database. So a ge- of, of geographic right. So I think that that's a good point. And I also think uh, um, it, it ties into the idea of if we want people to be able to adopt these things, then it has to be pretty easy for them to pick them up, right? Like if you're going to motivate the OpenStreetMap people to do it, you have to be able to show that it's easy enough for them to pick it up, right? And I think that this is another one of the criticisms that the choice of JSON-LD has gotten in Activity Pub land is, you know, like, okay, well... Um, you know, like this, this requires too much tooling, or I want to treat things as I don't want to use JSON-LD tooling. I don't want to think about these things. I want to operate on it as just JSON. Um, and what's the right way to get to that step? And, and part of the vision for JSON-LD is you should be able to do that. Now, obviously, it's very simple if you're using the activity streams core vocabulary, because we specified that the default terms like shouldn't be overridden you already know that those default terms are going to be the same things. But what happens if you want to operate on it as an engineer today? Now, let me say, here's how to do it if you have a JSON-LD library at hand. Let's say that you do have 
Uh, you have a term for move because you do have the chess extension in your system. And across the street, Ralph of Ralph Movers has a move that means moving boxes. How do you two get along, even if both of you want to use just your JSON tooling as much as possible and not think about the whole world of linked data to the maximum amount possible? Well, it's actually pretty simple. You define your own context, which says, here is what all the terms that I am going to work on are. And then you compact it locally. And what compacting locally actually does is it actually does two steps. It takes the incoming data. So when you get a message from, you know, Alice or Bob or whatever, and it comes into your system, your system, when you run the compaction, it expands it out first to the unambiguous version of things where everything, every term is a long URI and et cetera. And then it compacts it down to your definitions. And once that has happened, you know for sure that the version of move, and I'm talking about the shorthand version of move that you're using in your program, is the same shorthand version of move that um, that you are that you expect. And if you don't have that, it's going to actually be an expanded URI because it's not in your context at all. And so that's really easy if you have JSON-LD tooling. I think some of the pain that some people are hitting is maybe they don't have JSON-LD tooling in their language. And thus they can't just do that. Um, but I think if you have that, if you have a library to do that, actually operating in just JSON mode isn't hard. Um, there is a um, there is an alternative suggestion. I think partially pushed because a number of languages don't have JSON LD tooling. And I have written JSON LD tooling myself. Um, the JSON LD API page pretty much lays out the algorithms, and it's kind of long and kind of tedious, but you just enter them in and run them across a test suite. And then in theory, you should have an implementation. Um, but uh, assuming you don't want to do that, some people have made some alternative suggestions. Uh, the white pub people have suggested something which is mostly reasonable, except for one large source of incompatibility, um, which is, well, why don't we just use the activity streams core vocabulary? Um, everybody should use that. And then for all the extensions, we'll, you, um, we'll all enter in the longhand URIs um, for every term. And that way, you know, if you've got this move extension, you have like chess.example slash, you know, NS pound move that and you enter that whole thing in for your key. And now it's going to be unambiguous. And um, while that would be would work and would um, also be, you know, it, I mean, it doesn't have the same level of compression. I think the the bigger issue is that it actually loses some extra information that the people using the JSON-LD stuff also have, which is that, for example, if um, the URL, well, sorry, URL is not a good example. If you've got like the inbox field, the inbox field and in activity streams maps to a URI um, instead of just a string. So that means that that actually has that additional type information. And this solution doesn't actually provide a way to provide that extra type information, which might not sound like a big deal, except it does, it loses important information between the two worlds, which we haven't had before. All right. 
I mean, we've we've covered a ton here, and uh, for just an introduction to JSON LD, dove pretty deep. Is that a dived or dove? Ah. Pretty deep into that. Uh, we've covered the basics. We've covered implementation. We've covered some of the different perspectives. We've covered alternatives, and I think at this point it's time to wrap up. So so let's do that. Um, please, uh, if if you enjoy the show. Please follow us on the Fediverse. We're uh, at Libra Lounge at Floss. Uh, sorry, at Libra Lounge at Floss.social. We're on Twitter at Libra Lounge. You can join our RC channel, uh, hash Libra Lounge on Freenode. You can email us at podcast. Uh, sorry, it's podcast at LibraLounge.org. Yeah, and I think that's it. See you next time. Next time we cover Activity Pub, I think we're going to get into some of the other protocols that are not purely activity pub and then in the future we'll start talking about implementation as i implement activity pub for my project so that'll be really exciting right there's some decisions there's kind of the version of activity pub that's currently rolled out in the in the world with like kind of the spaces in the spec that are not necessarily specified and what the current world definitions of how you should fill this in uh is interesting for people to know yeah, and then I and I think we'll get into that, and then in the following one we'll start to get into okay, if you're actually implementing, are you going to encounter? So we've we've got a lot to talk about on this topic, and it's really it's really an exciting to do these deep dives. So I'm really looking forward to that, and I hope everyone enjoyed this episode, and we will see you next time. See you next time. You've been listening to Libre Lounge. You can find and subscribe to us at librelounge.org. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Our theme music is Bossa Nova by Joth, which is waved into the public domain under CC0 and which you can find on opengameart.org. If you'd like to support Chris Weber's work on this and other user freedom projects, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash C-W-E-B-B-E-R. Thanks for listening. See you next time.